That was a very muted thanks be to God there. I think I heard sniggering while Roger was reading that. Alison said I wore uh, pearls as a, as a mark of... What was it you said? In defiance. Good luck, Ricker. <coughs> so, good morning, everyone. Um, we're continuing our series on 1 and 2 Timothy, um, and we've got chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, uh, continuing from the last couple of weeks where we had that sort of background. Um, and so we are looking at, I titled it Worship when I put the, the series together. Um, I don't always read the whole passage when I come up with these titles. And so when we're talking about worship, we're specifically talking here about leadership about prayer, and about teaching. Joe Saxton, Nicola Neal, Lucy Pepiat, Christina Baxter, all women, all teachers. Rebecca McLaughlin, author and speaker, I've recently been reading uh, Confronting Christianity, which is a fabulous book, and I'm yet to read The Secular Creed, which I also expect to be a fabulous book, speaking into the conflicts which we see in the church and in theology today. Another woman, another enriching experience. Our archdeacon was Rosemary Mallet. She is now our bishop. She has authority over me as, a, as incumbent. I both respect her, I learn from her, and we share the cure of souls. I trained with a non-stipendary curate called Kate. We worked together, we shared ministry, even in an interregnum when the vicar left, and that meant leading the PCC and things like that. Uh, your vicar leaving is the best learning experience, by the way, I discovered. We have a female curate, Lisa. I honour and respect and trust her as a colleague in the word and recognise her undoubted skills and gifts, as I'm sure Many people here do too. I also seek to correct her in error, uh, that she might be a great servant in the Lord. I'll try to do so as I would any curate. I may not succeed, but that might be a sermon for Lisa to deliver at some other point. So verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. If we read the plain meaning of, of those words, then certainly at nine o'clock, people were flinching when it was being read out because it really grates against current day sensibilities. What is Paul, for Paul says he does not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. But does it? And what to do with this? The Church of England, over 20 years ago, made the decision that that is not how this was to be put in practice in the Church of England, because women were first deaconed and then priested, and then inevitably, a few years later, were made bishops. So how do we deal with this? Well, this is a great opportunity to look at how we deal with any tricky passages in the Bible. And so there are three things we can look at. Firstly, the context of the setting in which the letter was sent. So what was going on in Ephesus at that time? Um, 
we can look at the context within the overall biblical story and we can look at what that might mean for us today. Well, I've already alluded to what that might mean for us today. The plain meaning of those words is not how we receive them now. We believe in equality and we believe in partnership. Um, that's not always evident in every place, in workplaces or even in the church. But that is the principle which most people would, would apply. And so um, that's where we expect to land. I said to my daughter when I was telling her what I was preaching on today, I, said, I know what the answer is, I just haven't worked out my arguments yet. Um, that's actually poor theology, by the way. <coughs> we, we look at, uh, at what the Bible actually says, and from there we work out um, what the answer is. Now, I'm comfortable that where I'll land is where we should land, but we've got a bit of work to do to get there first. So the context of the setting, what was going on in Ephesus? Well, we did a little bit of this a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, but I'd just like to present to you an imaginary letter that Timothy could have written to Paul. He didn't, so I've made this up, but this is what Timothy might have written to Paul, um, which would then lead Paul to write back to him. My spiritual father in Christ, greetings from Ephesus. It pains me to say that all you taught me is being distorted. What I say and what others say are in constant conflict. I honestly don't know what to do. The trouble is that some of it sounds plausible, but I know it not to be true to what you taught me. Teaching about how the law saves. Different ideas about Jesus. It feels like a constant battle. I'm not sure I know or others know truth from fiction. I and many others feel adrift, separate from God. All this talk of special knowledge and chosen people, it's unsettling. And we are surrounded by the practices of the world, selfishness, anger, greed, ostentation, materialism. The men in particular argue and spout hatred almost to violence. The women are so steeped in the local customs of Artemis, they see the priestesses domineering and bossing around as if they own the place, because they sort of do in the temple. You taught me, Father Paul, that we of the way should be separate from the worldly things, set apart, holy. My conscience is clear. I do best to live up to the standards, but those of riper years that I and of greater standing before I arrived, they follow these around. And some who teach encourage them to do these things. Teachers, men and women, take it upon themselves to spout their half-truths and pagan practices. What can I do? What might, why might they listen to me? Who should lead with me and serve for me? I write that you may instruct me as you have done many times over the years. I am your servant and you are my model. Guide me, your servant in Christ. Timothy. So that provides a little bit of background about what was going on in Ephesus at the time, where the, where the letter landed. So what was Paul's response? Well, we've already seen in chapter 1, he said this, stay in Ephesus, 
command certain people not to teach their false doctrine. And the goal of this is love, because these are drawing people away from God. Some people do not know what they're talking about. The law and sound doctrine conforms to the gospel about God's glory. I, Paul, can tell you that I received grace. So I'm telling you, Timothy, I command you to to command others in line with the prophecies that were spoken over you. Fight well. And you should have faith and you should have good conscience. Let me repeat that. You should have faith and you should have good conscience. For some have shipwrecked regarding their faith. So in that first chapter we looked at over a couple of weeks, there's a real emphasis on character and integrity, which makes it a compelling message for this week, don't you think? And so what follows is a therefore, and he's about to go into the reading that we just had. But before we go there, I want to jump to chapter 3. And um, Simon will be preaching on this in a couple of weeks' time. Because in chapter 3... Paul gives the character um, requirements for a leader. An overseer is a noble task. You should be above reproach, faithful to your spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not drunk or violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not have a love of money, manage your uh, family well must not be a recent convert, must also have good reputation. And then in verse 8, he says, in the same way, deacons, that is those who served, are to be worthy of respect. And then gives a similar sort of shorter list of what deacons should, uh, what their characteristics should be. And then in verse 11, says something really interesting. In the same way, the women, or the NIV translated wives, are to be worthy of respect. So in, within about three verses, Paul says the same thing about those who are serving in the church as deacons as he says about the women in the church. And the reasons for Paul's instructions, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So Paul is very interested in the truth and doctrine. We know that from the last time. But he's interested in the character of those who are leading the church and those who are in the church. All of those, if we look at wider scripture, every single one of those requirements of a leader can apply to women as well as men directly. Not indirectly, but directly. You can go through uh, scripture and find that a woman would, would qualify under each one of those. So how can this be consistent with verse 12? Well, if we read backwards in our section and we start with the end of what Paul said, he's talking about the creation narrative. And that's an obvious place to talk about men and women because that's where we first find that distinction and it says in verse 13 for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner 
Now, when we first read that, it sounds like Paul is putting the blame on Eve for the fall. Is that, is that how it sounds to you? Well, let me read it to you again. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. Okay. The woman was deceived by the serpent. She was fooled. She was tricked. And what did she do? She ate the fruit, which she wasn't supposed to do. What happens next in that narrative? Eve takes the fruit, eats the fruit, what does she do next? She gives it to Adam, and Adam eats. Now, we've just been told that Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was rebelling against God. Eve thought there wasn't going to be any consequence because that's what the serpent had told her. Does it start to sound a bit different now? Yeah? So, actually, Paul isn't saying... Women are not worthy, shouldn't be put in leadership. Men should, because they're better, or you know, more suited or more fitted. He's actually saying that both men and women failed at the fall, but for different reasons. And the primary reason that Eve failed is that she was deceived. Hold on to that thought as we go on to see what he says about women. He goes on to say, but women will be saved through childbearing. There is one uh, stream of thought that thinks that actually it says the childbearing, in other words, through Jesus, because Jesus, through, through the line, becomes a, a child of Eve. Um, that is possibly a distraction. But, and, but it goes on through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. Now, what it can't mean is that women are saved because they have children, because that is salvation by works, by what you do. So it can't mean that. But it does say if you continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. So it's about faith and it's about character, which is what we were saying earlier. So with that insight, let's look at the rest of the passage. There are problems in the Ephesian church, and Paul is, is, has written what he wrote in that first chapter, and he says, therefore, he says, therefore, pray. I urge you then, first of all, that uh, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. So the prayers are for everyone, and everyone in authority, men or women. And then it goes on in verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, men and women. He wants all to be saved, and he wants all to have knowledge of the truth. Eve didn't have full knowledge of the truth, which is why she was deceived. Does that make sense? For there is one God, one mediator, and so Paul says how salvation comes through our one God. And then he goes on to talk about himself in verse 7. For this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. 
He's a witness. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul was there to teach truth so that that truth would be passed on by the truth tellers. And Paul's instructions that flow from his call is to both men and women. His assessment of the men first is, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Because we know that they were all arguing amongst themselves and, you know, having ridiculous arguments. So he's saying to the men, stop it. It's not helpful. And he says to the women, stop showing off. Because in that particular place, if you looked to the temple, you had the priestesses who were bossy and overbearing and probably adorned in all sorts of ways. And he's saying, you're Christians. You're not worshippers of Artemis. So stop showing off, but with good deeds appropriate uh, for women who profess to worship God. It comes back to character. And then as we read on, be very careful about people who say, oh, the Greek and Hebrew says, unless they really understand Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> it's an easy out to, to forget the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. But actually, when we come to uh, verse 11, it says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. That is submission to God, not submission to men. That is the only imperative in the whole chapter. And an imperative is rather than a suggestion, is a must. A woman must learn in quietness. Just as Eve needed to learn to then resist the temptation if she was given. Because the women who are not learned would not teach the truth. He's not saying they shouldn't teach. He says, learn what the truth is first and then teach it. I saw uh, something on social media where somebody was going into a school as a, you know, from a church and they were asked to do some teaching about sex education, basically, to the children. And it was, I'm not sure I should be asked to do this. My response was, go to the uh, sex education teacher and say, you teach the Trinity first, and then I'll take on this task. You need to know what you're talking about. So if the women in the Ephesian church didn't have that learning... It's fair to say you shouldn't be teaching. So Paul doesn't say don't teach. He says go and learn and then you can teach. Is that a different picture to the one we had when we heard it? I haven't convinced everyone. Or maybe it's just a bit hot, I don't know. But if you want to go into this in more detail and literally the pages and pages and pages have been written about this, in the Greek. Um, there's uh, a blog, a Christian blog, uh, run by Ian Paul, who used to be one of my tutors, called Sephizo. 
And just recently, in the last few weeks, there's been an article there, six and a half thousand words. I measured it, I counted them, not one by one. I used the word. Um, and he starts out by saying complementarianism is in crisis. Complementarianism is the belief that men should be the leaders and the teachers and women should not. And he, he takes an somebody who's put that argument forward and he basically looks at the whole Bible and comes to a different conclusion. He looks at biblical examples of which there are many of women leaders and teachers, Old Testament and New. He looks at the new creation and what that means for difference. He looks at biblical leadership and how that's described. And he looks at overemphasized difference rather than partnership. The whole idea of, um, the, uh, of Eve being a helper is that Eve and Adam were to co-partner in the stewardship of creation. It's not that Adam did and Eve helped and was ordered about it's a co-partnership. So the key to what Paul is talking about here is character and spiritual qualities, whoever you are. It is not saying that men lead and women listen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this letter. And we know the difficulties that we have in interpreting it now because we weren't there to receive it then. And I thank you for those who put in the time and the knowledge and the expertise to interpret these things for us. And I pray that we go away from here being encouraged about the equality of God in God's kingdom for whoever we are. That God chooses us and calls us. And when he calls us, he doesn't look at whether you're male or female, tall or short, black or white, able or disabled. He calls us to a task and he equips us for that task. But what he asks of us is that we obey and follow his spirit to build the character of integrity and truth and faith that we may fulfill that task for him. Help us today to recognize the call in others that all may be built up. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.